Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 77 of the show. Definitely another playoff-heavy episode this week. Uh, The NBA is wrapping up their conference finals. The NHL is finishing their second round series. And we actually had a playoff hole, or a series of playoff holes, in uh, the PGA Tour this past week in the major championship that we watched. So, lots of playoff action. We'll get you caught up there, and uh, as well in the Major League Baseball standings updates. Uh, We'll get you up to date there with some news and info, and then of course the Around the Island segment. Lots of news there as well. But we're going to start off in the PGA Tour. Uh, Last weekend's tournament was the PGA Championship. It was the second major championship of the year. It was at the Southern Hills Country Club in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So par 70. Distance is 7,556 yards. Uh, This course was not originally selected to be the host of the 2022 PGA Championship, um, but it got named the host, and it was more than capable as it hosted the PGA Championship back in 2007, most recently. Uh, Since that tournament in 2007, the course has added 300 yards all right, there's still only two par fives since it's a par 70. There's only two par fives. They both played about 630 yards, so just a monster course. The um, PGA Championships normally played in July or August, so we normally see some hotter temperatures. Um, being in May, it wasn't as hot, but it was still a little toasty for a couple of days. We'll get into how the weather played a role here in just a second. Uh, the field itself obviously was one of the best. We'll see with it being a major um, all the top golfers in the world were out there. Phil Mickelson was supposed to be out there, but he had to withdraw uh, for personal reasons. Uh, Brooks Kepka was back out there after withdrawing from the Byron Nelson. He won this event twice previously. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau was set to tee it up, uh, played some practice rounds and didn't think his wrist was quite ready to go after wrist surgery, so he pulled out of the tournament. Uh, and then we saw Tiger Woods return to action after his uh, appearance in the Masters where he made the cut. Uh, Woods, for the first two rounds, he got grouped with uh, Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy. And between those three guys, they have 115 tour wins, 22 major championships, and five FedEx Cups. So t- phenomenal group. Uh, but Tiger did not play that well. He barely made the cut at three over par and then proceeded to shoot a 9-over-79 on Saturday, which was one of the worst rounds uh, in his major championship career. You could see his leg was bothering him. He kept limping. It was hurting, uh, and he ended up withdrawing Saturday night, so he did not play in the fourth round on Sunday. Now, if you watch this broadcast, uh, ESPN held the main broadcast for the first three and a half days uh, of the tournament, so if you watched it on ESPN... Uh, you saw on Friday afternoon, it was a mega cast uh, that Joe Buck and Michael Collins hosted. And it was similar to the Manning cast that we see on Monday Night Football uh, on ESPN. But with Joe Buck and Michael Collins, it was phenomenal. They had a bunch of guests on, uh, Fred Couples, Charles Barkley, Troy Aikman, Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, it was just a great group of guests. They had it split screen with the the tournament itself. Um it was just phenomenal. Uh, the guys were hilarious. The guests were hilarious. And I found myself watching more of the mega cast and listening to them instead of actually watching the, the golf. So it was job well done there by ESPN. I know a lot of people hate Joe Buck, but uh, I like the guy and I think he did a great job with that mega cast. Uh, I mentioned the weather a minute ago. Uh, Thursday, we had temperatures in the 90s, very hot. Uh, Friday, 
it was about 88 degrees there in Tulsa. Uh, Friday, we saw a lot of, a lot of high winds, 35 mile an hour wind gusts in the morning rounds. The afternoon rounds were a little easier. The wind died down to about 15 or 20, but it was still a major factor. We had rain overnight Friday into Saturday uh, in Tulsa, and uh, that played into the uh, high scores we saw on Saturday's third round. The ground was wet, uh, didn't play as good, and it was also 56 degrees outside, so about a uh, a little over a 30-degree difference between Thursday and Friday into Saturday. So um, got back up into the upper 80s on Saturday, sunny, or uh, Sunday rather, it got back up nice and warm and sunny. Uh, but, you know, like I said, the, in 2007, this tournament was played in August uh, at Southern Hills. It was in the upper 90s and low 100s the whole time. So a vast difference in temperature this time around. Uh, during the tournament, there were actually two kind of scary incidents. Both involved people getting hit in the head with errant tee shots. Thursday's opening round, John Rahm sent an errant drive that ended up hitting ESPN reporter Sage Steele in the head. Uh, she was reported to be covered in blood, at least her face. She did go to the hospital, but was released. And then on Friday, second round, Cameron Smith sent an errant tee shot from the second hole over to the seventh hole, which is adjoining that second hole. And his tee shot struck fellow golfer Aaron Wise in the head. Uh, you, they kind of flashed over. He was Wise was kind of bending down, using a cold water bottle as an ice pack. Uh, but he ended up finishing that round and making the cut. So it uh, did not seem to affect Aaron Wise. But uh, in the end, your winner of the PGA Championship was Justin Thomas. It was his 15th career PGA Tour victory and his second career major. Uh, he won the PGA Championship back in 2017. So both of his major championships uh, are the PGA Championship. Now, there was a three-hole aggregate playoff that was that we saw Um Justin Thomas beat Will Zalatoris in that three-hole aggregate playoff. It was the first uh, playoff in a PGA Championship since 2011. And those guys played the par four, uh, sorry, par five, 13th hole, 541 yards, which played as the second easiest hole all weekend. Then they moved to the par four 17th, which was 302 yards, played as the easiest hole all weekend. And then they moved on to the par for 18th hole, which was 490 yards, which played as the toughest hole all weekend. So they played the hardest hole and the two easiest holes all weekend in that playoff. Uh, Justin Thomas went uh, birdie, birdie par. A phenomenal tee shot on 17 to drive the green. Put Zalatoris kind of in a tough spot. Zalatoris went birdie par, and he actually didn't even finish the 18th because... Um, he needed to make a birdie, and he missed the birdie putt. So that gave Justin Thomas the victory in the playoff hole. Uh, Thomas won his final score. Both of them tied at five under par, which sent them to the playoff. And we only got to a playoff hole because Mito Pereira, who was your 54-hole leader uh, with at nine under, uh, he shot a five over 75 in that final round. Uh, he came into the 18th hole. He was paired with Will Zalatoris. He had a one-shot lead over Thomas and Zalatoris, and all he needed to do at six under was par the hole, and he couldn't even do that. He ended up putting his tee shot way right into the water and making double bogey So on that hole when he needed a par. Um, otherwise, he would have won it outright. So that sent Thomas and Zalatoris into that playoff hole. So Zalatoris was your solo second. Um, Justin Thomas, I mentioned... Mito Pereira's 9-under was, was leading after 54 holes. Justin Thomas was at 2-under, so he was 7 shots back heading into Sunday's final round. And when that final round began, he had a 1.2% chance to, to win the tournament, uh, which was the third largest comeback in major championship history, 7-shot comeback. And uh, Thomas also became the first player since Dave Stockton in 1970 and 1976 to win his first two majors at the PGA Championship. Uh, so Zalatoris, solo second. He's been making some serious noise here in recent majors. This was only his seventh career major championship start, and he's got four top tens in those seven majors. So uh, he is going to win one here soon. Uh, he had struggled early in the round. and He reached the par three-sixth hole. Uh, he actually sent 
His shot passed the green into the woods, had to take a drop, played his drop from the cart path, and ended up making a bogey. Terrific putt to save bogey. The hole took him 15 minutes and 12 seconds to play, which is just ridiculously long, especially for a par three. But uh, nonetheless, he got it done. Uh, Cameron Young and Mito Pereira were, were tied for third at four under par. I mentioned Pereira's five over 75. Uh, three guys tied for fifth at three under par. Tommy Fleetwood, Chris Kirk, and Matt Fitzpatrick. Uh, Fleetwood shot a three under 67 on Sunday, which tied Justin Thomas for the lowest round on Sunday. Uh, Rory McIlroy was solo eighth at two under par, and then four guys at one under par, uh, which was Brendan Steele, Tom Hoagie, Abraham Answer, and Seamus Power. Those were your only guys under par. All right, there was only seven guys at even par. So not a whole lot of guys at even par or better. But nonetheless, it was a terrific uh, PGA Championship. It's fun to watch, very entertaining. Uh, the course really was kind of brutal for a lot of these guys. But uh, Justin Thomas claimed his second major championship. Uh, which brings us to this weekend's tournament, which is the Charles Schwab Challenge. That is at the Colonial Country Club here in Fort Worth, Texas. Par 70 as well. The distance is 7,209 yards. Uh, this is the longest tenured course, non-major course, on the PGA Tour. All right, It's his 77th consecutive appearance on the schedule, which again is the longest non-major tournament that we've seen. Uh, it's a Maxwell-designed course, which is the same designer as the Southern Hills Country Club that we just saw in Tulsa. So, Again, shot-making, accuracy, going to be key here again this week. A really good field for this one. Five out of the top ten golfers in the world are going to be out there, including Scotty Scheffler, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, and last week's PGA champion, Justin Thomas. All right. Uh, other big names you'll recognize that will be out there, Will Zalatoris, Jordan Spieth, Sam Burns, Abraham Anser, uh, Max Homa, last week's breakout, Mito Pereira, and then uh, a couple guys making this tournament's debut, uh, Tommy Fleetwood and uh, rookie Davis Riley. So keep an eye on those guys as they get their first crack at Colonial. The winner of this thing gets a red and black plaid jacket, pretty snazzy. So uh, it'll be a good tournament. We got a pretty good field. This is actually a really good field for uh, the week after a major. Normally these uh, the weeks after a major aren't as loaded with top players, but this one certainly is. So I will be tuned in, especially because it's a local tournament here. Uh, they went from Dallas up to Tulsa, back down to Fort Worth. So uh, pretty cool to have two local tournaments here on the PGA Tour uh, in the span of a couple of weeks. So uh, I'll be sure and watch some of the Charles Schwab Challenge this weekend. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League and do a playoff update here in the NHL. Uh, NHL's second round series are wrapping up, and uh, we did a preview of each uh, series last week's episode. We'll start off in the Eastern Conference, the Battle of Florida between the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. All right, Tampa Bay, their star forward, Braden Point, had gotten hurt uh, in, in that, uh, I think it was game six against uh, Toronto last series, so he did not play, has not played at all this series, didn't play at all this series, uh, partly because this is the series that's already over, all right? Uh, Florida was your President Trophy, President Trophy winning top overall seed in the Eastern Conference, uh, and it was ugly for them in this series. Game one, uh, Florida took a one nothing lead into the second, Tampa tied it up, and then Tampa Bay got three third-period goals to win 4-1. to one. Uh, Three of their four goals for the Lightning in that game were on the power play. So some special teams issues there for the Panthers in game one. Game two, uh, Tampa Bay was up one nothing heading into the second. And then very, very late in the second, Florida tied it up. Looked like the game was going into overtime, but with four seconds left in the game, Ross Colton buried a nice pass from Nikita Kucherov, who was behind the net, uh, gave Tampa Bay a 2-1 win and a 2-0 series lead. Both of those games were in Sunrise, Florida. So uh, Florida actually outshot Tampa Bay 36-28 in that game and still lost. So uh, game three was back in Tampa. 
came out. Lightning just dominated the Panthers. Kucherov had four points. Uh, Lightning got the win there in game three. Game four, still in Tampa Bay. Close game, uh, back and forth. We didn't have any scoring in this game uh, until Pat Maroon put the Lightning up one nothing about six minutes into this, the third period. So we went uh, almost two and a half periods without a goal in this one. Uh, Tampa Bay would add an empty net late, uh, and Lightning won the game 2-0, and the series 4-0. Lightning swept the Panthers. Uh, I'm not surprised to see the Lightning sweep the Panthers, uh, although they did not have Braden Point at all, so it is slightly surprising um, that that they swept them. But uh, Tampa Bay's a good team, obviously. I'm not surprised they beat them. I'm just surprised at how bad they beat them. Uh, certainly didn't see Tampa Bay sweeping this series, uh, certainly with not uh, without Braden Point. But they really, the Lightning really do look poised for a three-peat. They've won the last two Stanley Cups, and they're coming in hot for a third one. Uh, the Lightning became the first team since the Colorado Avalanche between 96 and 02 to participate in the final four of the Stanley Cup playoffs at least six times in an eight-year span. All right, so this series victory sends them to the Eastern Conference Finals for the sixth time in the last eight years. So second team uh, in NHL, well, in recent NHL history to do that. Uh, Lightning goalie Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, he recorded his sixth shutout in his past seven series-clinching games, all right? He had a 49-save shutout here in Game 4 against the Panthers, which is a 49-save shutout is impressive in and of itself. And then you figure that this was his sixth shutout in the last seven series-clinching games, which moves him to the most series-clinching shutouts in NHL playoff history with six, all right? Um, and in those last seven series-clinching games, Andre Vasilevsky has faced 200 total shots and only has allowed one goal. That is just ridiculous. He is the best goalie in the world, uh, and that clearly has shown here in the playoffs. So the Lightning move on uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals. The other series in the Eastern Conference, Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Rangers. All right, uh, Game one. The Rangers scored very early in the first, took a one nothing lead all the way up until about two and a half minutes left in the third period, which is when Carolina tied it up. Uh, the game went into overtime, and then about three minutes into overtime, Ian Cole buried a wrister to give the Hurricanes a 2-1 to one victory there and an early series lead. Game two, we didn't have a goal in this thing until almost the end of the second when Brendan Smith scored to give the Hurricanes the lead. Uh, Hurricanes added a late one in the third and uh, won the game 2-0 to go up 2-0 in the series. Uh, Antti Ranta had 21 saves there in the shutout for the Hurricanes. So the series went back to Madison Square Garden for game three and four. Game three, New York got out to a 2-0 lead. Carolina brought it within one, and then the Rangers added an empty netter. So Rangers won game three, 3-1, three bring the series to 2-1. to one. Carolina, and then in game four, this one was all New York. Uh, New York got a couple of first period goals. They didn't look back. Ended up winning four to one, right? In game four, the Rangers did at home. So they evened the series two games apiece. Series shifted back to Carolina, all right? Carolina had not lost a home playoff game at all so far this postseason. Hurricanes took a 2 1 lead into the third, got another one about halfway through the third to win the game three to one and take a 3-2 series lead, which kept them undefeated at home during the playoffs. Moving over to the Western Conference, uh, the first series over there, top overall seed in the West, the Colorado Avalanche, playing the St. Louis Blues, all right? Uh, game one, St. Louis actually scored the first goal of the series. Both of these teams had come into this series with an extended layout, uh, layoff, right? Um Avalanche hadn't played in almost two weeks from the time they swept the Predators in round one to the time they played St. Louis in game one here. It was almost two weeks, all right? So the Blues jumped out to a one nothing lead. Colorado got two goals in the second. And then very late in the third, Jordan Cairo 
had a breakout year this year. He tied the game for the Blues. Uh, game went into overtime. Blues goalie Jordan Bennington was standing on his head just about. Um, but pretty early into that overtime, Avalanche defenseman Josh Manson, he found a back of the net with a, a wrist shot there, and Avalanche took the first game 3-2. Uh, to two. Game 2, um, St. Louis got a couple of goals in the second period to open the scoring. And then uh, less than two minutes into the third, Colorado scored to kind of make it a game. And then St. Louis answered that goal about halfway through the third period to go up 3-1 three uh, three to one in the game. And then the Blues got an empty netter to give them a 4-1 to one win uh, and steal a game there in Denver. So the series was tied heading back to St. Louis. Game three... Blues goaltender Jordan Bennington. He got hurt about six and a half minutes into the first period when uh, Nazem Kadri slid into him. Left the game with a knee injury, and he was immediately, like the next day, ruled out for the rest of the series. So um, that forced St. Louis to use their backup goaltender. Uh, and at this point, the NHL playoffs had seen 29 different goalies used, which is a record for this point into the playoff second round. We've seen 29 different goalies used already, which is uh, pretty insane. That's quite a bit. Uh, but also in that first period, after the the Kadri-Bennington incident, uh, Colorado defenseman Sam Girard, good young player, he got smashed behind the net up against the boards, broke his sternum on the play. So uh, that's going to cause him to miss the rest of the playoffs for however long Colorado is in it. So Gerard's out. That was a brutal game three. Um, Colorado ended up uh, winning that one to go up two games to one in the series. Uh, game four was also in St. Louis. With no Jordan Bennington, you knew it was going to be an uphill battle for St. Louis. Uh, Blues actually scored first, but Colorado had four goals in the second period uh, to take a 4-3 to three lead into the third a high-scoring second period there. Uh, six goals in that period. But uh, Colorado added two more goals in the third period, including Nazem Kadri hat trick, uh, one game after getting booed off the ice for hurting Jordan Bennington. Uh, Kadri gets a hat trick. Avalanche wins 6-3 and went up 3-1 to one in the series. And then game five, uh, Colorado. This game was absolute bonkers, man. Um Avalanche got up to a 3-0 lead. Uh, St. Louis ended up clawing their way back. They tied the game at 3 with just under 5 minutes left in the third period. But then Nathan McKinnon, he showed up in a big way for the Avalanche in this one. He scored a hat trick, but his third goal came about 2 minutes after St. Louis had tied it. Right, St. Louis tied it with just under 5 minutes left. So McKinnon, about two minutes after that, so just under three minutes left in the game, McKinnon scores. And this thing was an absolute beauty. Holy smokes, this goal. If you've not seen it, it's worth a YouTube uh, search of it. Nathan McKinnon, he went end-to-end, blew everybody's doors off, and uh, buried it, put the abs up 4-3 with just under three minutes left. And then two minutes after that, with just under a minute left in the game, St. Louis scored. Robert Thomas scored to give the uh, Blues a chance there in overtime. And then in overtime, Blues forward Tyler Bozak, he ended up burying a shot three minutes into overtime. So between uh, the last five minutes of this game in regulation and three minutes into overtime, there were four goals, all right? So pretty pretty intense scene there. So that win, game five, that series currently sits. Colorado is up three games to two. Uh, game six will be uh, Friday night, I believe. So uh, we'll get you caught up on that series uh, next week. But the other series in the Western Conference it was the Battle of Alberta. This is the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. And this whole series was just absolute banana land. Um, everything about it. Pretty much every game had something ridiculous in it. Uh, back and forth. Uh, I predicted Calgary would win. But 
it was that was not the case, uh, and it was pretty dominant in the other direction. So, uh, game one uh, was your first episode of Banana Land, and I talked about this series as probably being one of the lower scoring series uh, in the second round, just because of Jacob Markstrom and Mike Smith, the goalies. Uh, Markstrom for Calgary was your goals against average leader in the first round. And then Mike Smith uh, had two shutouts in the first round to lead the playoffs. So uh, I thought it was going to be a low scoring series, but uh, Calgary, they scored two goals in the, in the first minute of game one, and then three goals in the first six minutes, chased Mike Smith from the net. Uh, Calgary went on to take a six to two lead at one point in the second period uh, and then Edmonton, they came roaring back to tie the game at six. Uh, so it was 6-6. Six, six. Calgary added three goals in the third period to win the game 9-6. to six. That was the highest scoring NHL playoff game since 1993. So much for that goaltending duo that uh, we expected to see. So Calgary against the Dallas Stars in the first round, uh, it took them 232 minutes of game time to score six goals against the Dallas Stars, right? We know how good Jake Ottinger was. In this series, it took them 28 minutes to score six goals against Edmonton. That's just over one period of play. Uh, So that was game one. Absolute crazy stuff. Game two, uh, Connor McDavid, he had eclipsed the 20-point mark in the playoffs, uh, which he became the uh, second-fastest player to ever do that behind Wayne Gretzky, uh, who did it four different times in an eight-game span. So uh, Connor McDavid helped the Oilers uh, win game two. Uh, back home, that was that game was in Calgary. Uh, game three, uh, Edmonton went back home, and uh, they took care of business. They scored four goals in the second period, including an Evander Kane natural hat trick, which happened in a six-minute span. So pretty impressive stuff there from Kane. Uh, Oilers won that game 4-1 to to go up 2-1 in the series. Connor McDavid had three more points, uh, which gave him nine multi-point games in Edmonton's first 10 playoff games, uh, becoming the first NHL player uh, in history to do that in the playoffs. Uh, game four was another slugfest. Um, you know, Edmonton got three first-period goals, all right, and one of them came just 21 seconds into the game. Then Calgary got two goals in the second that were 36 seconds apart, all right, to cut the deficit down to one. And then Calgary tied the game at three about halfway through the third period uh, before Edmonton scored late in the third to go up four to three. And then Edmonton got an empty netter, uh, Evander Kane, and then uh, they won the game five to three, took a three to one series lead. So uh, that was game four. Uh, again, just absolute crazy stuff happening here. Quick goals, goals that are not very far apart, um, lead changes, uh, just ev- high scoring. Uh, game five was just another version of Banana Land. Uh, second period, all right, there were seven goals in the second period in this game, just continuing to follow suit, of course, with how the rest of the series was. And in that second period, the seven goals uh, four goals in 71 seconds in that period. Um, Calgary was up two to nothing, but after that flurry, uh, it ended up being tied four to four. Uh, no goals were scored in the third period, so it went into overtime. And then five minutes into overtime, who else other than Connor McDavid scored to give Edmonton five four win, four to one series victory, and send the Edmonton Oilers to the Western Conference Finals? All right. That trio of Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Evander Kane, uh, they have 60 points thus far in the playoffs in only, I guess, 11 or 12 games, uh, which they're the first duo to have that many points in that few games since the uh, 1988 Edmonton Oilers. So uh, Edmonton goes to the Western Conference Finals. They are waiting for the winner of the Colorado-Calgary series. Uh, And then just to recap, in the Eastern Conference, the Tampa Bay Lightning are in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they are waiting for the winner of the Carolina Hurricanes um, and the New York Rangers. All right, so by by next week's episode, we'll definitely have a recap of the final games of those two series, and uh, we'll take a look and do a preview of the Conference Final matchups.
But we'll move over to the NBA and uh, do a playoff update here in the NBA's conference finals. Last week's episode, um, we previewed the matchups in the Eastern Conference. It's the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. Miami was the uh, number one seed. Boston was the number two seed. I picked the uh, Celtics to win in six games. Uh, Miami came out and they won game one, 118-107. Now, Boston was without Marcus Smart, who had a foot sprain, and Al Horford, who was in health and safety protocols. So uh, they did have an eight-point lead at halftime, but Miami outscored Boston 39-14 to in the third quarter, just blew them out, never looked back, got out to a one nothing lead. Uh, game two, uh, Smart and Horford returned for Boston in game two, and that proved to be a big difference. Uh, Boston came out on fire in that first half. They took a 70-45 to lead, 25-point lead into halftime, did not let up. Uh, Boston won 127-102, to and that one to even the series at a game apiece. Uh, Marcus Smart had 24 points, so his absence in game one was certainly missed. Uh, Jimmy Butler had 41 points in game one, 29 in game two for the Heat. But series went back to Boston. Miami uh, in game three, they came out just guns blazing in this one, outscored Boston 39-18 to in the first quarter, and they didn't look back in that one. They cruised to a 109-103 victory, got a little closer there at the end than they would have cared for, but Miami never trailed in this game. Uh, Bam Adebayo finally showed up for the Heat, 31 points, 10 rebounds. And then Al Horford, I mentioned him a minute ago, he had 20 points and 14 rebounds for the Celtics in the loss. So game four, uh, Boston simply returned the favor to Miami. Uh, They got out to a 26-4 lead at one point in the first half. Boston did, just completely pummeling them. Uh, Miami, they missed 15 of their first 16 shots. Uh, is that bad? It's not good. So Celtics uh, won 102-82, 20-point victory, even the series at two games apiece. Jason Tatum had 31 points for the Celtics. Victor Oladipo, we had a Victor Oladipo sighting for the Heat. He had 23. That win put Boston 5-0 and uh, following a postseason loss this year. So Uh, Every time the Celtics have lost, they have won the very next game so far this postseason. Uh, Game five was back in Miami. Uh, Boston just dominated this one again. Uh, They outscored Miami by 18 points in the second half. They won 93-80, 13-point victory there. Took a 3-2 series lead. Jalen Brown showed up for the Celtics in that one with 25 points. Bam Adebayo had 18 points and 10 rebounds. So that series currently, as of this recording, uh, Boston is up three games to two. Um, So they have a chance to close out on Friday night at home. Uh, So we'll see on that. We'll have to check back in on that one next week. Over in the Western Conference, number three Golden State Warriors against the number four Dallas Mavericks. First Western Conference Finals we've seen without a number one or a two seed since 2011. So interesting there. I did pick the Dallas Mavericks. That was a homer pick. Uh, I was feeling good after their win against the Suns. Um, That turned out to be just an absolutely atrocious pick. Uh, Game one, Golden State. Uh, Oh, boy. This one was a travesty for the the Mavericks. Um, It was just horrendous. Uh, Basically, what happened was uh, Golden State did to the Mavericks what the Mavericks did to the Phoenix Suns in Game 7 of that second-round series. Dallas kept chucking up three-pointer after three-pointer, and they couldn't hit shit. Like, I'm talking they couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat, all right? So the Mavericks never had the lead in Game 1. You knew Golden State was going to win. Uh, Dallas was 31 of 86 from the field. They shot 36%, 11 for 48 from three. Just absolutely horrid. Uh, Complete write-off game for Dallas. Golden State won that one, 112 to 87. Um, Game two, Mavericks came out swinging. Uh, They were hitting threes in the first half. 
All right. Uh, all the ones they missed in game one, they hit in game two. In fact, the Mavericks set a franchise record for three-pointers made in a half with 15. Uh, 15 threes in the first half, very impressive. They scored 72 points in the first half. They actually got up by 19 points at one point, the Mavericks did. Um, so you're thinking, cool, they're going to win. Well, yeah, those Golden State Warriors, they uh, outscored the Mavericks by 33 points in the second half, and they won by 10. Yeah, 127 to 117 win for Golden State. Took a 2-0 series lead. Steph Curry had 32 points for the Warriors, and Luka Doncic had 42 points for the Mavericks. Uh, So you move on to Game 3. It's a must-win for the Mavericks. They're at home. They've been a much better team at home this postseason than they have been on the road. They came out looking really good again. Uh, Golden State was only up by a point at halftime, but the Mavericks... um, couldn't get it done in the second half, right? The second half was their arch nemesis in this series. And uh, Golden State ended up winning the game 109-100. to Take a 3-0 commanding series lead. Steph Curry had 31. Andrew Wiggins, uh, where the hell has he been? He scored a career high, a playoff career high, 27 points for the Warriors. Luka had another 40-burger. Uh, in game three, back-to-back 40-point games. Uh, but this that th- after game three, uh, it was pretty clear that Dallas, their biggest weakness was their inability to get points in the paint. Um, they kept scoring perimeter shots and mid-range shots. Nothing Dallas did was down low, and uh, they, they clearly need to get a big athletic center uh, in the draft or via free agency if they want to move on because uh, they live and die by the three, and uh, that just seemed to cost them, certainly through the first three games. Uh, through the first three games in the series, Golden State had out-rebounded Dallas by an average of 15 rebounds per game. So that's another reason as to why Dallas needs a, an athletic big. Um, of course, no team in the history has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit in the playoffs. Uh, you see it in hockey with the competitive nature, uh, but the NBA is too top-heavy for that. It's not happened. So game four, you come out. Mavericks are still at home. They look good in the first half of this one. Uh, first half had not been an issue for this team. It was the <laughs> it was the second half. But um, So Dallas got out to a pretty good lead uh, in the first half. They were hitting their threes, uh, but that second half, uh, kind of bit him a little bit. Dallas ended up making 23 pointers in game four. They got a 29 point lead heading into the fourth quarter. But stop me if you've heard this before the Mavericks stopped making their shots, and Golden State cut that 29 point lead down to eight points at one point. That was just, um, it was tough to watch. I was certain that Golden State was going to win this game. Uh, but then Luka came back in. He was camped out on the bench thinking his night was over, but he came back in. He finished with 30 points and 14 rebounds. It was his 10th double-double in the 14 postseason games to that point. Uh, he was obviously instrumental in Dallas winning, but Dallas got secondary scoring. So Dallas ended up winning game four, all right, in that one. But secondary scoring for Dallas was huge because Luka had 40 points each in games two and three, and, and they didn't win. But Luka only had 30, but he got 23 points from Dorian Finney-Smith and 18 points from Reggie Bullock. So when those guys are hot, they're kind of the key to the Mavericks. Uh, And then Golden State, Steph Curry had 20 in that one. Game 5 went back to Golden State. Um, So the series was 3-1 Golden State heading back to San Francisco. Uh, As a Mavs fan... The Mavs had absolutely zero chance to win game five. Uh, And truthfully, with the cost of jet fuel these days, they probably should have just stayed their ass at home and uh, saved the money on the airfare because uh, Golden State came out, brought it, got up by 21 points at one point, and uh, it was just ugly for the Mavericks. Uh, They they didn't hit threes. Um, They missed all their threes, Uh, it it felt like, in the first half, which, which gave Golden State... You know, the lead got up to 21 uh, early in the third quarter, but um, they went on to win 120 to 110. That made Golden State, 
your Western Conference champions in five games. And uh, Clay Thompson, he showed up. He had 32 points there in game five. And Luka, of course, did his thing with 28 points, nine rebounds. Steph Curry was your Western Conference Finals MVP. He averaged uh, 23.8 points per game during that series. So uh, my Mavericks, congrats on a heck of a year. First time in 11 years you've made the Conference Finals, but clearly some work to do to hang around with the big dogs because uh, Golden State just made Dallas look silly much of this series. So, uh, But said we'll definitely uh, – Eastern Conference Finals could be wrapped up this Friday, this weekend here, so we'll certainly preview the NBA Finals, uh, which begin on June 2nd. So we'll take a look at the NBA Finals preview. We know that the Golden State Warriors will be representing the Western Conference. So the question now is who represents the East? Uh, Boston has a 3-2 lead, so we will check back in on that series on next week's episode. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball, do a standings update here in the MLB. About 45, 46 games into the regular season for most teams. So uh, about the uh, quarter mark of the season, 25%. Uh, Starting off in the National League East, the New York Mets, they have the biggest division lead still at seven and a half games. They're 29 and 17, seven and a half game lead. Uh, Now they got some bad news uh, this, I guess it was last week. Uh, Their ace pitcher, Max Scherzer, he's going to be out for six to eight weeks with a moderate to high-grade oblique strain. Uh, As a pitcher, uh, oblique strains certainly can linger, so uh, we'll see if if Scherzer's back and ready to go. They still don't have Jacob deGrom either, so we might see that seven-and-a-half game lead shrink over the next month or so. Second place, the Atlanta Braves, they're 21-24. and Seven and a half games back. Uh, Their backup catcher, William Contreras, brother of Cubs catcher Wilson Contreras, he's only played in 10 games, or at least at the time of this uh, stat. He'd only played in 10 games, and he was tied for the major league lead in home runs by catchers with six. So it's pretty impressive for somebody who doesn't play every day. Philadelphia Phillies are also 21 and 24, seven and a half games back of the Mets, tied with the Braves there. Bryce Harper, their all-star outfielder, he had a platelet-rich plasma injection in his right elbow last week, uh, which kept him out of the lineup for a few games. He had that because he's got a small tear in his right UCL, which uh, required the treatment. If he was a pitcher, he'd probably be having Tommy John surgery. Um, But the initial reports are that he's uh, not going to play the outfield again until late July. He's only going to designate be the designated hitter in the lineup until he's cleared to throw. So keep an eye on that, though. That's that's going to be interesting. Miami Marlins, uh, they're sliding down. They're 18 and 24. And then the Washington Nationals are last in the NL East at 16 and 30. Over in the NL Central, Milwaukee Brewers, 29 and 16. They have a four and a half game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, who are 24 and 20. The Pittsburgh Pirates climb back up a little bit. They're 18 and 25. 10 games back of the Brewers. Uh, This division is is looking like it's going to be a Milwaukee-St. Louis slugfest the rest of the way. Chicago Cubs are 18-26. And and then the Cincinnati Reds, 14-30. They have the fewest wins in Major League Baseball still, although they've done a little bit more winning lately. Uh, They scored 20 runs in a game the other night which was the most they've scored uh, in a game uh, since 1999. Now, they only had 167 runs coming into that game for the entire season, uh, and they scored 20 in that one game. So uh, quite the interesting season the Cubs are having, or the uh, Reds are having. Over in the National League West, Los Angeles Dodgers, are 29 and 14 have a one and a half game lead over the San Diego Padres, who are 28 and 16. Uh, San Francisco Giants, 24 and 19. Arizona Diamondbacks, 23 and 22. So the Giants are five games back of the Dodgers. Starting to get a little separation there. Uh, Dodgers have won eight out of their last 10. 
Diamondbacks, like I just mentioned, they're uh, seven games back. Colorado Rockies still in last place at 20 and 24 there in the NL West. Over in the American League, the American League East is the biggest division lead currently. The New York Yankees are 32 and 13. Uh, they've won three in a row. They have a five and a half game lead in the division. Um, quickly with the Yankees, they're the first team this year to 30 wins. All right. Only team as it sits right now, as of this recording, with 30 wins. They have 32 of them. Uh, and they have changed closers. Uh, Aroldis Chapman has been replaced by Clay, Hol- Clay Holmes as their closer. And Clay Holmes actually boasts the longest active scoreless inning streak in the majors with 23 consecutive scoreless innings. So big part of that team's success has been the bullpen. They're five and a half games clear of the Yankees are of the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 26 and 18. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays, eight games back of the Yankees at 23 and 20. Uh, they've won six out of their last 10. The Boston Red Sox, uh, they're 20 and 23. Uh, They've won seven out of their last 10. A big part of their success over the last month has been second baseman Trevor Story. He has nine home runs and 32 RBIs this month, which is just, he's been on an absolute tear. Uh, Although the Red Sox are still 11 games back of the Yankees. So um, Story's going to need to continue to hit at that pace because the Red Sox are quickly fading out of the playoff conversation. Then the Baltimore Orioles, last place in the AL East at 18 and 27. Although they did get some good news, uh, they called up their top overall prospect, the number one overall prospect in MLB uh, right now is catcher Adley Rushman. He got called up to the big leagues this past weekend, and his first career hit was a triple. Now, he's a catcher, but he's known for his hitting. Um, The reason he's the top prospect is because he's a fantastic hitter, uh, that was showcased in his first game. His very first big league hit was a triple. Um, he's kind of struggled in a couple games since then, but he's still uh, he's still putting the bat on the ball and looking like he belongs in the majors. American League Central, Minnesota Twins, 27-18. They are four games clear of the Chicago White Sox, who are 22-21. and Cleveland Guardians uh, are 18 and 23. They've lost three in a row. They're seven games back of the Twins. The Detroit Tigers, 16 and 28. They've come up from last place. Uh, they've gone 500 over their last 10 games. And then the Kansas City Royals are last with 15 and 28 as their record. They've only won three times in their last 10, and they are only one game behind the Reds or one game in front of the Reds for the worst record in baseball. Over in the American League West, the Houston Astros, uh, they're 29-16. and 16. They have a two-game lead over the Los Angeles Angels. All right, the Astros went on a tear a couple weeks ago, um, have overtaken the Angels and have gone two games clear. Angels are 27-18. and 18. Uh, Mike Trout the other night scored his 1,000th career run. So another milestone for him. Texas Rangers, my beloved Rangers, are 19-23. and 23. They are third place in the AL West. All right, they've won six out of their last 10. They're still eight and a half games back of the Astros, but uh, they have been pretty entertaining. Uh, I mentioned last week about pitcher Martin Perez being the ace so far this year that the Rangers have desperately needed. And in his very next outing after that episode dropped, he threw a complete game shutout against the Houston Astros. All right, he's the third pitcher this season to throw a complete game shutout behind Walker Bueller of the Dodgers and Reed Detmers of the Angels, who threw a no-hitter. So impressive stuff there from Texas this year compared to where they were Last year, and especially considering the way the Rangers started this year, I think they only won like two games out of their first 10 or 12 or something like that. So quite the improvement for the Rangers. Uh, The Oakland A's are fourth in the AL West at 19 and 27. And then the Seattle Mariners. My goodness, I've been all over them, was all over them preseason. Um, And they have come out and just absolutely... Shit the bed. They're 18 and 27. 
11 games back of the Astros. They've only won twice in their last 10 games. It's gotten so bad that they signed outfielder Justin Upton to a one-year contract, okay? Um, He got sent to extended spring training to get conditioned, uh, but this dude's almost, he's in his mid to late 30s, way past his prime. They're just reaching uh, at this point for anything positive to happen. Uh, It's just been a complete, complete meltdown for the Mariners this year. Sorely disappointed in the Mariners, but plenty of baseball left to be played. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, again, you know, we're about a quarter of the way through the Major League Baseball season. So uh, lots of baseball to get into. Uh, Keep an eye on the standings and we'll keep you updated as we move along here each week through the season. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across various sports. Going to start off in the National Football League. Uh, One free agent signing of note, uh, the Cleveland Browns, they re-signed defensive end Jadavian Clowney to a one-year deal. Uh, He had been a free agent for this whole time since the season ended. Kind of rumored to be going several other places, but he ends up back in Cleveland Uh, which is probably needed for them to keep up in that AFC. Uh, NBC, the television station, announced that Maria Taylor has been selected as the new host of Football Night in America. Uh, Mike Tirico, of course, is moving into the broadcast booth for Sunday Night Football along with Chris Collinsworth because Al Michaels uh, has moved over to Amazon. So Tirico used to host that show, but uh, Maria Taylor is now going to host it. Um, it is the most watched studio show in sports, Football Night in America. Uh, since its inception in 2006, uh, it has been the most watched show. And last year, it averaged 7.1 million viewers, which was up about 18% from the previous season. Now, if you don't know who Maria Taylor is, she worked uh, for ESPN for several years, uh, kind of did all the sports. Uh, basketball, I think, is where she started. Um, but she kind of became a prominent ESPN reporter, uh, and she, you know, left ESPN and just finished up her first year with NBC. She's terrific. Uh, she she does great, and she's kind of she was on the show last year as basically a you know an analyst. So she just kind of assume or you know assumes uh, lead duties there for Football Night in America. That's one of my favorite shows. You know, Sunday Night Football. Uh, it's kind of the, the pre, pre-game show for that on NBC. But NFL also now announced that the uh, 2023 and 2024 NFL Scouting Combine is going to remain at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. All right, There had been reports uh, circulating that the NFL was looking to move the Combine around and rotate locations similarly to how they've done the uh, NFL draft in recent years. Uh, by changing locations, uh, but it's at least staying in Indianapolis for the next two years, which I think is fine. That's a pretty central location. Uh, it's a good venue, and they've been doing it there for years. If it ain't broke, I don't know why you would need to fix it. So Combine is staying in Indy for two more years. Uh, and then the uh, NFL show Hard Knocks, right? It's on HBO. Uh, the in-season version of Hard Knocks called Hard Knocks In-Season uh, debuted last year. They, they made a new one uh, in season that featured the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, well, the in-season version of Hard Knocks is returning this November with uh, an all-access uh, docu-series on the Arizona Cardinals. All right. They Keep in mind, the Detroit Lions are on the uh, regular version of Hard Knocks this year. So they're going with two NFC teams and the Lions and then the in-season version of the show, the Cardinals. So interesting notes there. Over in the National Hockey League, keeping the playoff theme going, I came across this uh, fact, I guess you could call it, regarding the price of playoff tickets and the difference in those. Uh, The cheapest playoff ticket in Florida for the Florida Panthers games. This was current as of the beginning of the second round. Okay, the cheapest... Ticket for the Florida Panthers was fifty bucks, uh, which is uh, insane. Uh, now, the cheapest ticket for the Edmonton Oilers home games was five hundred and forty dollars. 
So that's obviously, you know, the whole exchange rate, Canadian dollar, whatever. Uh, that's still quite the difference. Talking almost a $500 difference to get in the building between Panthers and Oilers. And the Panthers, for God's sakes, won the President's Trophy as the best team in the regular season this year. All right? They were literally the best team in the league this year. Uh, and it's 50 bucks to get into their game, playoff game, second round game. Um, they also went 26 years in between playoff series victories. So uh, that might explain why the tickets are a tad cheaper than the Oilers. Of course, hockey rules in Canada. But uh, I just found that that was a, a pretty interesting fact. Uh, some coaching news involves my Dallas Stars. Uh, the Stars head coach, Rick Bonus, he announced that he's stepping down as head coach. And in addition to that, uh, Stars general manager Jim Nill announced that assistant coaches John Stevens, Derek Laxtall, and Todd Nelson are not going to be returning next season either. So it is going to be a wholesale coaching change for the Stars. Uh, and you know what? I, as a Stars fan, I'm not mad about this. Uh, I know Rick Bonus. He took us to the Stanley Cup final two years ago in the bubble and uh, game seven in the first round this year. He missed the playoffs last year, but he went 89-62-25 and 25 in three seasons as the head coach of the Stars, which is above 500. He made two playoffs. He's a great coach, but his defensive scheme and system is just not what the Stars are built on. Uh, they, they need scoring, and they focused all their attention on the defensive side of the puck, which is why they were one of the lower scoring teams in the NHL. The only team in the playoffs with a negative goal differential uh, just because they couldn't score. And you saw that in the first-round series against Calgary. Uh, they were very anemic on offense, and that had a lot to do with um, Bonus's coaching style. So uh, I'm excited for a fresh face. Uh, so we'll see who they choose to replace Bonus with. Uh, interesting free agent signing. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins re-signed forward Brian Rust to a six-year $30.75 million deal. It's an average annual value of just over $5 million per year. Uh, Rust is more of a role player. He's not really heavily counted on to produce. Uh, he still does, but uh, that's quite a bit of money for a role player. Uh, but over in Major League Baseball, real quick, uh, MLB announced that teams are going to be allowed to carry 14 pitchers through June 19th. Uh, this I only mention that because teams normally are only allowed to have 13 pitchers on their active roster, uh, but they've had a couple of extensions in place already this year due to the health and safety protocols. We've seen a few uh, players get put on the list, the COVID reserve list kind of uh, already this year, but the MLB is keeping uh, the extension of one pitcher per team up to 14 through uh, mid-June. So I uh, just thought that was kind of interesting. Um over in college football, transfer portal news. I mentioned this dude a couple weeks ago, uh, Pittsburgh wide receiver Jordan Addison. He is the Bolitnikoff Award winner from this past season. He has officially announced that uh, he is transferring from Pitt over to USC. Now, he had narrowed his decision down to USC in Texas, certainly hoping he was going to pick my Longhorns, but he spurned them for Lincoln Riley and company out there in Los Angeles. I do believe I read something that uh, said that he got a pretty heavy NIL paycheck to uh, compensate his efforts over there at USC, so uh, I certainly would agree with that. Uh, he would probably have more success in terms of statistical uh, success and uh, draft stock status over at USC than he would Texas, but uh, certainly don't like to lose uh, top flight recruits uh, when they are considering Texas. And then we'll close around the island out here on the PGA Tour. Uh, Capital One's the match, all right? We've seen several different uh, renditions of this. You know, it's basically celebrities playing golf match against each other. The most recent one we saw was Bryce, uh, Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka. But prior to that, you know, Tom Brady would pair up with... Uh, you know, Tiger Woods, or, you know, they, they would just, it's kind of a, a fun thing. Well, that's returning on June 1st. So next week, uh, June 1st at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time, uh, we will have a battle of elite NFL quarterbacks on the golf course. All right, so Capital One's the match next week, June 1st, is going to feature 
Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers as a team. They will take on Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. That will be played at the Wynn Resort Golf Course in Las Vegas. So it's the old guys versus the young guys. And, um, you know, Brady can play. He's a, he's a damn good golfer. Uh, Allen's pretty good. Mahomes is good. Roger, I mean, they're all solid. But I'm interested to see that uh, and see who wins. It's all obviously for charity. It's fun. But uh, if you're interested in tuning into that, that is uh, going to be next Wednesday, June 1st at uh, 5.30 p.m. here locally in the central time zone. So uh, I know I'll probably tune into that for a little bit just to check it out. But uh, that's going to wrap up the 77th episode of the Sports Island podcast. Uh, Hope you enjoyed that one. It's full of playoff talk, and that's kind of how it'll be for probably at least the next couple episodes. Uh, Next week we'll have uh, an NBA Finals matchup to discuss. Uh, as well as some conference finals matchups to discuss in the NHL. So uh, we'll get you caught up on all that next week. But uh, definitely a lot of good stuff on this weekend between the NHL, the NBA, uh, of course, PGA Tour, and then uh, baseball is uh, in full swing too as well. So plenty of stuff to watch, and we'll get you caught up all next week. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.